Would you please stand for the reading of today's text, Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, on this day of days, we glorify and exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that our hearts would be open to receive the fullness of all that is ours because of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and because of your great plan, our God and Father. We submit ourselves to you. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, wills to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. He is risen. risen This is the best day of the year for Christians. The absolute best day. It makes no sense to the world, but it means everything to us. In 1 Corinthians 15, the same chapter from which Allison read just a moment ago, Paul tells us that If there is no resurrection, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Indeed, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, I'm going to do something else with my life. Obviously, I believe, and I know that many of you, if not all of you, do as well. He is risen. risen Well, of all days, for the projector to go on the screen... Next Sunday morning, uh, we have planned during our prayer time, which is now incorporating into that a ministry report. Next week is going to be the ministry of giving. And uh, we are on a bare bones budget this year, trying to catch up from the last couple of years that have been quite difficult. And the Lord is helping us. Uh, But we did not provide in our budget for new equipment in here. Uh, Jerry, Jeremy Pittman and I uh, were talking. Jeremy's the one who played this instrument, this new instrument on our stage called a cajon. It was, it was developed by uh, African and Peruvian slaves uh, back in the day. And uh, it obviously has drum-like sounds. Uh, but we were talking before the service about how surprised, how shocked people are when they realize how much money all of this stuff costs. It is, we, again, didn't plan to do this on Easter. But next Sunday, uh, we have a designated fund that we're going to be announcing. And it's going to be, in addition to putting this projector up and putting uh, uh, trusses up so that we can hang these lights and get them off of these big trees, uh, it's going to be in the neighborhood of $10,000, $5,000 alone for that projector. So it will be a designated fund, and we're going to open it a week early since we, uh, since, since we need to. So... Easter Sunday, David uh, Calvert announced a shocking statistic to us. This is too late for this Sunday, but you can remember it next year. 82% of all the people LifeWay Research has 
concluded, 82% of all the people who are invited to go to church on Easter go. Can you believe that? All the times you invite people to church, they don't come, but they come on Easter Sunday. It, it could be that you're here today, and this is not a typical place for you to be on Sunday morning. I, I, I recognize so many of you, and, and uh, I, I think that most of you are in church on a fairly regular basis on Sunday, but it could be that, that, that you're here, and you're not convinced that Jesus' resurrection really happened. The resurrection of Christ is real. I'm not going to try to convince you of that this morning. I'm not going to talk about the the, the great deal of evidence that exists for Jesus. I am certain that if the Lord wants you to believe that, He is going to draw you to Jesus. It's no accident that you're here today. And He's going to draw you to Himself as He will. There was a day when I did my best to deny the existence of God. Doesn't, doesn't exist. I sang right along with John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven, no hell below, and the world would be a better place. That's what I thought. Thank God he ran me down. And I stand here gladly and proudly proclaiming that I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and I affirm him as my Savior who paid the price for me. That's good news, and it's beautifully stated in Hebrews 13, 20. And 21. Now, now, you have heard this text several times here at Grace. It should be on the screen, but let me read it again. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 13, 20, 21, if, if you're not already there. Let me read this again, since it's not on the screen. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You've heard this several times at Grace, but it's always at the end of the service, and it's read as a benediction or a blessing. On our screen when it's working, you will see, when our projector's working, you will see the word benediction at the end of the service. It's a, a benediction is a blessing. But unless you come from a church that is liturgical in nature, you might not fully understand the purpose of a benediction. <clears throat> so what is it? Well, we see it often in the New Testament at the end of letters. The, the writers of the New Testament letters to the, to the various churches would put a benediction or a blessing at the end of their letter. And we see them scattered throughout the Old Testament uh, as well. Brian Chapel says this in his book, Christ-Centered Worship. A benediction or a blessing is the common close of a worship service. With these words, the covenant people are reminded of the promises they have heard in worship so that they can go into the world to do God's will with confidence in his promised care and enabling. You'll see how very true this definition is in the intent of the New Testament writers. It's it's not that Brian Chappell is saying, here's the way a benediction ought to be done. He's saying, this is the way the New Testament writers did it. Just describing what they, they did. Every word of a benediction is carefully chosen. Well, actually, we could go further and say that every word that's written in Scripture is carefully chosen. But as the Holy Spirit led these men who were writing 
these letters to the churches, uh, no doubt they would sit and reflect on the ways that they would encourage the readers at the very end of their letters, encourage the readers to go out into the world with the confidence that Jesus was with them. We're going to look at our text, which is a benediction, a bit more carefully today in order to get the, the full benefit of this incredibly encouraging word to us on this blessed day. So as you read in your Bible, we're going to read it again and we're going to read until we come to something significant. Now may the God of peace stop, stop right there. The God of peace. I'm going to guess that there are many of you who are here this morning that would not characterize your life as a life of peace at this present moment. Even though you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And when, when the scripture says the God of peace, you just kind of, oh, yeah, okay, 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 yeah, I, I get that. I mean, you have family issues, you have employment issues, you have medical issues, you have friend issues, you have spiritual issues, lots of things that makes life almost seem tumultuous at times, and it's, it's not a place of peace. wonder if I asked all of you who feel a great deal of contentment this morning, and, and, and you were honest, that you were at peace, and you've been that way all week. I'm not talking about, yes, I'm at peace because it's Easter morning, and I'm here at church, but you've been feeling this way all week long. There's, there's peace in your life. For you to stand, I wonder how many would, you know, it'd be that kind of, be alone. On the other hand, if we said, how many of you, and again, you were honest, are at a place of deep disappointment or discouragement or, or, or fear or at the very least somewhere around the edges of your mind there's this gnawing discontentment and a lack of peace. I'm afraid we might have a full house standing. You'd think David had called us up for worship. The original recipients of this letter that we know as the book of Hebrews would say, welcome to the club. They desperately needed this entire book and this special word of peace at the end. Let me give you just a little background on this church. Uh, <laughs> this group of people to whom the Hebrews, uh, book of Hebrews was written, it was written to a group of Jewish believers, most likely at a church in Rome. We're not sure who wrote this letter. I mean, this is one of the only... It's the only New Testament book that remains anonymous to us. But we know that the writer was intimately acquainted with the Old Testament sacrificial system. And also he was intimately acquainted with Jesus and his work on the cross as a once and for all sacrifice for sin. This was important for the writer to understand this. So, some have suggested that maybe Luke was the writer, which would be interesting. Luke, a Gentile, writing this letter to the Hebrews is quite eloquent. But, but it was important, whoever wrote it, it was very important for him to fully understand because the Jews who followed Christ were under a great deal of pressure from, <coughs> from their family and from their brother, uh, Jewish brothers and sisters <coughs> to renounce Jesus, either to renounce Jesus or at the very least to add the law back to their religious experience. Many had suffered persecution, particularly in the form of being ostracized by family 
and, and, and friends and by the, by the nation of Israel. You know, last week we had a baptismal service up here. There were 10 people that followed Christ in baptism. It was a blessed day last Sunday, just as it is today on this Easter Sunday. But if we had been doing this in another country, you know, here, every time somebody would be baptized, you'd hear this, praise the Lord. It was all that kind of thing going on. But you know, if this had been in an Arab country or in a very orthodox Jewish setting, once a person says, I'm following Christ, family does everything to talk them out of it. But when they're baptized, the family says, you are dead to me. You don't exist. Quite a big deal for people. And these Jews were struggling mightily. They had suffered persecution. And the writer said, okay, so you've suffered, suffered persecution. There's no blood. What's your point? You, they, they were being seriously shut off from society because of their stand to follow Christ. But the writer says, you haven't suffered the blood yet. But, but the intention was, or the implication was, it's coming. It's coming. You need to be ready for that. You might say that this Roman church of, uh, made up mostly of Jews. Surely there were a few Gentiles that had been in there at one time. But you might say that this was an Acts 29 church because... This letter was written after the book of Acts was finished, which has, of course, 28 chapters. And so this was the ongoing spread of the gospel. You may be familiar with the organization in our day called Acts 29. It's led by Mark Driscoll and Mars, Hills Church, Mars Hill Church in, in, in Seattle. One of the characteristics of, uh, of Acts 29 churches is that many of them are growing. And growing significantly. And, and some of them, in fact, are huge. That wasn't the case for our Acts 29 church in Rome. This particular church was small. Hadn't always been that way. It had been a fairly good size at one point. But they were growing in the wrong direction. In fact, they were shrinking at an alarming rate. And many scholars think that there were as, as few as 15 to 20 people who were now attending this great church. And as many of you have heard me say several times, that blows my mind that this kind of letter was written to 15 or 20 people. Phenomenal. But it wasn't written to 15 to 20 people. It was written to all the church of God for all time. The pressure from the non-believing Jewish community was just too much for many of them. And so they walked away. And the brothers and sisters in this church who were left weren't, weren't at peace in their hearts. M most of the people were, who remained were asking this question. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus really enough? Look at all the grief that has come into my life because I've said Jesus is enough. Wouldn't it be prudent to keep the law so that, not only so that people won't be upset with me, but just in case, just in case I need to keep the law for God to accept me into heaven. In our day, it would sound like this. It's nice to trust Jesus, to accept Jesus as your Savior. That's a good thing. But you better mind your P's and Q's. You better continue to do good works. Because if you don't, who knows? And you just do the best you can and hope that's enough 
to get in. Let me ask you a question. Where's the peace in that life? What kind of peace is there in, in, in saying, I hope I'm going to heaven. I, I hope I'm going to get there. The whole book of Hebrews was written to say, yes, Jesus is enough. He's enough. And when Jesus is in our lives, there is peace. Because when we follow him, he makes life so wonderful that we always get the job we want. We always get the man or woman, the guy or gal that we want. We, oh, come on. Stop that stuff right there. What is the kind of road that we're on when we follow Jesus? What road is it? It's the narrow road. It's a difficult place. And Satan will do everything he can to make our lives difficult even miserable, so that no one on the broad road that leads to destruction will look over at us and, and be enticed to join us on that road. But when we have peace in our lives, and this has not always been the case with me, I am asking the Lord, please, to help me do this, and he's helping me. When there is peace in our lives, when there is absolutely no reason that there should be peace, that's attractive. That's attractive to those who don't know Christ. That's why so many people <laughs> were saved at the Colosseums when they watched the Christians die. Wild animals were set on them, set loose on them. They were crucified. They were burned. And they did so with great grace. And people would say, I don't know what it is, but that's what I want. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? That's the case. So what causes you to be so unsettled on this beautiful, beautiful Easter morning? Is it your relationship with God? Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you don't typically come, but you say, there's something missing in my life. And, you know, Easter Sunday, that's, I just feel like this is the time I need to go. If so, Jesus stands with open arms ready to receive any who will ask for forgiveness of their sins and to believe that what he did on the cross was done for our benefit. He died to take our place so that our sins might be forgiven. All of our sins were on him, on the cross. Most of you have made that decision some time ago. But again, maybe you would characterize your heart and mind as anything but peaceful. And how will this uneasiness ever be made right? I mean, something bad may have happened to you. And you know that life will never be the same. You know those moments, don't you? Something happens and you say, life is never going to be the same again. And you don't mean that in a good way. It's a negative thing that has happened. So how is it going to be? <clears throat> it's not natural for you to be at peace when these things happen. But this isn't a natural life that we live. It's a supernatural life. Isn't that shown in our benediction? Look back at the text. Now may the God of peace, 
who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yes? Do you believe? Say, I believe. I believe. If God raised Jesus from the dead, then what in our lives is too big for him? Nothing. Think about that. Just a moment. Think about the problem that you have right now in context with God raising Jesus from the dead. Who is Jesus? Well, we know that he's the second person of the Trinity. God in the flesh. Son of God. Crucified. Buried, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven where he is at the right hand of God and serves as a lawyer arguing for us for us whenever Satan accuses us to the Father. And may you may rest assured that Jesus has never lost one of those arguments and he never will. We understand all of that, but this benediction goes further to say that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Now you'll recall when Jesus was on the land, was on, in, in the land of Israel, he, he had compassion on the masses of people because they were as sheep without a shepherd. His heart is still that of a shepherd, but since his resurrection, he is known as the great shepherd of the sheep. When you feel lost and afraid, listen for his voice. You're going to hear his voice in a quiet place with this book open in your hands or sitting on your lap. This is where you're going to hear his voice. Allison and I are working our way through the one-year Bible this year. We're doing it in the New Living Translation. I have permission to share this. Yesterday morning was a difficult morning for Allison. She's very optimistic by nature. Um, which is a good thing since I'm so optimistic in nature, you know. I joke a lot, but optimism is not necessarily my... I, it used to be, but, you know, life sort of sort of beat me down, and, and I'm not the optimist that I used to be. <clears throat> but, and, and, and that's why this, this description of the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus is so beautiful to me. Well, yesterday was a little bit of a difficult day. For Allison, and in God's providence, Psalm 91 was our reading from the the Psalms. And in the first two verses, she heard the Lord say this, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone, and this is the word that stuck out so much to Allison, He alone is my refuge. My place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. But there's another word that summarizes the life of the Christ follower and determines whether or not we're going to walk in peace. It's the word trust. I trust him. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. 
So let me ask you, who or what are you trusting to get you to heaven? If you're trusting your own goodness, I, I, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I want to stand before the Lord in my own goodness. Now look, in my neighborhood, I can compare myself very readily with some of my neighbors and say, I ain't so bad, you know. Not really. I got a great bunch of neighbors. Don't, don't think anything about that. But, but, but I'm just speaking generally. We can always find somebody who's not as good as we are and feel fairly comfortable about ourselves. But do we want to stand before a holy God? A holy God who requires absolute righteousness? I don't think so. We don't want to stand in our own. I would far rather, far rather trust Jesus' righteousness and His sacrifice on the cross than my goodness. But for those of you who already follow Jesus, you've made that decision a long time ago. Do you fall into the trap of thinking, well, Jesus got me saved, now it's up to me. You know, He did His part, I got to do mine. We're going to see... In just a moment, how very opposite that is of God's plan for His followers. Consider how dependent sheep are upon the shepherd. I mean, they're not the brightest animals in the kingdom, animal kingdom. We know that. And, and, and they're some of the most hapless and helpless animals that you will ever find. If a wolf comes to attack a sheep, he's not going to outrun him. It's not going to emit an odor like a skunk as a defense. Not going to raise his quills like a porcupine. I mean, he's defenseless. He is in desperate need of the shepherd. And if we're like sheep, our hope, our best hope is to trust in the shepherd no matter what the problems are. We have a great shepherd who has been raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was a, was a part of God's great plan. Our, our text tells us that, that he was raised by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, when we refer to the Bible, we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, we could just as easily say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. And it's a binding agreement as long as both parties fulfill the obligations and responsibilities that are written into the covenant. We are living in the day of the New Covenant. It's the same God, it's the same story, but it's a new covenant. The old covenant was based on the law, on man's ability to keep the law. And part of God's big story, of course, is that there's no way we can ever do that. Because the scripture tells us if we fail in one slightest little point of the law, we're guilty of abusing the entire law. Even in the Old Testament, we're told that men were not made right by God or saved by God by keeping the law. They were made right by believing the promises of God. The covenant was imperfect, we are to, we're told, because of man's inability to keep his end of the bargain. 
That's why sacrifices were made every year at the temple so God would forgive their sins. But as the writer of Hebrews tells us, we all knew that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Once a year, the priest would go into the most holy place and he would take the blood from a sacrificed animal, take the blood and put it on the mercy seat where our sins would be covered. If you were here on Friday night, you heard Sean at our Good Friday service, Sean Cross read from Hebrews 9, where we're told that all that stuff on earth was just a copy of the real thing that's in heaven. And when Jesus shed his blood, his blood was offered on the altar in heaven. And God now says, this covenant is eternal. And once you enter into this covenant with Jesus Christ, it can never be broken. You cannot do anything that takes you away from it. But let me say this. If you are a part of this covenant, if you have believed that Jesus died for you, you don't want to walk away. You want to please him. That's all really great news. And we're going to see in the last part of this benediction how God enables us to do the thing that we want to do but find such difficulty, and that is to please him. Once again, let's read this benediction together. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is great news that Jesus That God has saved us through the blood of Jesus' sacrifice. It is great news that we have peace with Him. And we can enjoy the peace of God in our hearts and minds even when everything has fallen apart around us. It's great news that the great shepherd of the sheep is our shepherd. That's all in verse 20, but it keeps coming. The good news keeps coming in verse 21. One of the reasons that some of you struggle so mightily with peace in your heart is because you struggle with a particular sin. You hate to sin. You you don't want to do it. But you find yourself doing the very thing that you hate and it feels like you'll never, ever overcome that sin. Will we? Is is there any hope? Well, Well, yes, according to verse 21. He will equip you with everything good that you may do His will. I imagine that some of you are going to be on the lake this afternoon. Imagine Jerry Hartman, we may find him in a boat race this afternoon, who knows. And if Jerry's in a boat race this afternoon, he wants as much power in that engine as he can possibly get. And if this life that we live is a race, as Hebrews 12 says that it is, then we need the power and the energy to run well. Hebrews 13, 21, our text says that God will equip us to do so. Furthermore, he will work it into us through Jesus because Jesus lives in us. And it's not so much me living this life for God as God living it through me. 
going to flesh this out one day, but my, my buddy Denton White the other day was telling me about something that <clears throat> I just want to share with you. Remember at, 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 at the Last Supper when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and he came to Peter, and, and you see this agony in Peter. I, I can't let my, my Lord wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, I've got no part with you. You have no part with me. And then Peter says, Lord, everything, head, wash me from head to foot. I, I cannot bear to think about not being with you. And he said, no, you don't need that. When you've been clean, all you need is your feet washed. And I think one of the points that he's making is, is that when he saves us, he washes us fully. And when he washes our feet, he is just, we're confessing the sins that we commit as Christians. But here's the point. Jesus was saying, if I don't serve you, you have no part with me. People all over the world these last few days have walked along carrying crosses. They crucify, they, they allow themselves to be crucified in the Philippines and they beat themselves bloody saying, I have to do this for God. What a mockery that makes of the cross of Jesus. It's not that we do something for Him. It's that He does something for us. He serves us. And He serves us not only by saving us, but by living in us to do the things that He desires for us to do. And the things that are pleasing in His sight. In other words, if we hope to be saved from our sin, we had better throw ourselves fully on Jesus. We better believe. Furthermore, if we hope to live this life as he has designed for us to live, we better throw ourselves fully on Jesus. We better believe. How many times have you said these words, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. Usually we say it right after we've blown it, right? Not when we're tempted. We say it right after we've blown it. I'm not going to eat that dessert. I'm not going to click on that website. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to keep my big fat mouth shut. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to say those things. I'm not going to be negative. I, I'm not going to pass up another opportunity to share the gospel. I'm not going to lose my temper. I, I'm not going to give my heart away to the first person who shows an interest in me. I, I'm not going to buy that item even if it is on sale. You ever said that before? What if we said something like this? Jesus, you know how weak I am. You know how very many times I have desired to live for you. But I fail to do the things that I know are right. And I fall into the things that allure me and distract me away from you. You have promised to live through me. And it's quite apparent to me that you have put a desire in my heart to live for you. To serve you and to please you. It's also apparent to me that unless you live through me, it's not going to happen. So right now, I yield myself to you. And I believe that you can bring me to the place of strength and obedience that will give you much pleasure and will glorify you.
Do for me on this Easter Sunday what I am incapable of doing for myself. Would you like to pray something like that? Why don't we do that right now? Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? And let me repeat that prayer. And you pray along with me or firm it in your heart. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you need to cry out for him to save you. He will do so with great pleasure. If you know Jesus, perhaps you you should pray this prayer. Jesus, you know that I am weak. You know how very many times I have desired to live for you. But I failed. I failed to do the things that I know are right. And I fall into the things that allure me away from you. You have promised to live through me. It is quite apparent to me that you have put a desire in my heart to serve you, obey you, to please you. It is also apparent to me that unless you live through me, it will not happen. I am incapable. I confess my weakness, my sin to you. Right now, Jesus, I yield myself to you and I believe that you can bring me to the place of strength and obedience that will give you much pleasure and will glorify you. Do for me what I am incapable of doing myself. No wonder the writer of this benediction closes with words of praise for Jesus. In fact, in this benediction, as in all of Scripture, Jesus is our focus. All our hope is in Him. And on this day, on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. Thank you for being the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Thank you for living in us and accomplishing your will. You give us both the desire and the will to follow your commands. Now as we turn our hearts, Lord, on this Easter Sunday, just as Jesus had compassion on so many who were sick and hurting and poor and wretched and sinful, as we this morning turn our hearts to those in need and we take our benevolence offering Lord especially in light of all that has happened 
over this past eight days with a tornado that was so brief in its time of destruction and yet so lasting in its time of difficulty and despair. May we, Lord, help to bring peace and joy and the love of Christ to those who are in need. from many days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.